is good to be with you today and uh, to have the privilege just to get to talk to you. I've uh, been struggling a little bit this morning because uh, the particular text that I felt like I was uh, originally earlier in the week that I was supposed to bring to you, I feel like the Lord might be changing my direction this morning. So uh, we'll just see what the Lord has in store. Uh, so I'll, I'll direct you in just a little bit to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse Two, really. We'll kind of focus on, uh, on one verse there for a brief moment today. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm going to have the privilege to talk to you for the next, I don't know, 15, 20, 50, 120 minutes, something like that. And uh, maybe we'll be done before, before that. I, uh, I, a couple of things just to make you aware. You're a part of a movement. Uh, you're a part of a connected movement here at Medina, you're, you're, you're part of a movement of 63 other congregations this past year. Uh, we're, we're at assembly. We're going to announce that we're actually, we're, we're, we're now 60 congregations officially instead of 63 because we've had some churches join and merge together to make them a little stronger in some locations. But you're a part of a movement. And the reality is that that movement is growing this past year. We had uh, the second largest growth we've had on our district in 10 years this past year. God is doing some amazing things. 722 people, 722 people accepted Christ for the first time in their lives in our churches this past year and uh, throughout uh, 22 counties in Ohio. We, uh, we've been focusing on Cleveland and so uh, certainly Cleveland at 1.6 million people, Cleveland is an area that, that we don't have a, a, a strong enough presence in. And so we, for the first time, are, are enacting kind of the same principles that, that we would enact in Uganda or in Ethiopia or, or, or uh, you know, Honduras or, or, or wherever missions of the Church of the Nazarene are. And so we hired a missionary uh, in November of this year to Cleveland. And uh, that, that missionary has a responsibility. His, his goal is to start house churches in all 59 neighborhoods and communities in and around Cleveland. And so our goal is, it's a, it's a long-term goal, but over the next 10 to 20 years, we full well ex- just expect that, that we're going to have churches in 59 areas throughout Cleveland as this gospel of Jesus Christ and how he changes lives takes root in, in people's lives for the first time. You're a part of that. You're giving to the district. You're giving to the Church of the Nazarene as a whole. You're, you're, you're a part of that. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for, for being faithful stewards of what God has called us to, and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's so a little bit of, uh, about me. I think, I think we've done Tragedy and a Triumph one year, two years, something like that, two years. So you've, you've caught maybe a little bit about that. What, one of the reasons why that is so important to me is because of the transformation that God has brought in my life. If there, has, has everybody in here made some mistakes in your life? Everybody in here done things you're not proud of? Well, well, that's certainly me, certainly me, and I'm so grateful. We sang this morning, and my, what a great worship team. We sang this morning about the transformation that when Jesus shows up, things happen, and he certainly showed up in my life in a big way and changed me, changed me deeply inside, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, 
Um, I, it, you know, only Jesus could, could find it in, in, in his, I don't know, in his will to take a guy who used to be a drug addict and, uh, and somehow call him to ministry and then somehow in, in his providence make him a district superintendent. I don't know what God is up to sometimes, um, if I'm honest, but I'm, but I'm thankful for what he's done in my life. Uh, Tammy and I have four wonderful children. Well, we have three wonderful, no, I'm just kidding. We have four wonderful children. And uh, um, we're, our, our, we have three daughters and a son. Our, our oldest daughter is 23. She is a nurse at Riverside Hospital in Columbus. She's an MVNU grad from a year ago. Uh, uh, we have two other daughters that, uh, that are, are 21 and just about 20. Uh, they are students at MVNU this next fall again. And, uh, and then we have a son who is 16, and uh, his whole life uh, revolves around football. Everything in his life happens around a, a, a ball, it seems like, from the seven eggs that he made himself this morning to eat. Um, everything in his life revolves around protein and and trying to, trying to play football there. So, you know, the interesting thing is, is that all of us are different. Every one of us are different. As I look at your faces, I see, I see different dates of birth. I see, uh, I see, I see, I see different gender. I see, I see, uh, smiles. I see, uh, you know, some of you really happy to be here. Maybe others of you, like, can we just get to the choir next week? Cause I don't want to listen to this guy. Um, so, so I see that we, we have different skills, gifts, and abilities around this room. Did you know that in the history of the world, there have been 180 billion people that have lived, give or take one or two, right? 180 billion people. Do you know in the history of the world, there is no one, no one in this room that has ever had their DNA replicated? in 180 billion tries. In fact, in the history of the world, you are the only you that's ever been, ever. No one in the history of the world has the physical and mental combinations that you have. You're it, you're it. Some of you, you're like, that is awesome. Others, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Maybe God didn't get this right, right? But in 180 billion times, You've never been repeated. Isn't that amazing? If you think about it, you were created for right here, right now. God God created you for a time such as this. You were created to live your life right now. In fact, when, when, when you were just three months in the womb, God, in his infinite, infinite creative wonder, he decided to put fingerprints on your hands, that in 180 billion tries have never been repeated. Your fingerprints are unique to you. You know what's even more amazing? Is that he built into you, he built in the ability that everywhere you touch, you leave a mark. Every place you go, there is evidence that you were there. Isn't that interesting? Now, now it's, it's so mind-boggling that 180 billion people, he, he, he gives us our own imprint, our own way of signifying where we've been and what we've done. It's never been repeated, and then he puts inside of us an ability to leave a mark everywhere we go. 
Typically, we look at that mark and say, well, that, that, that mark has to do with crime scene investigations. And maybe you watched 48 hours last night or something and you watched some, some you know, mystery on television, right? Maybe. And typically fingerprints and DNA denote things that, you know, well, let's catch the bad guy in the act. But really, fingerprints and DNA are there to tell a story that you walked the earth, that you lived your life. Now, the question is, you only, only one of you that's ever been? And the question is, only skills, gifts, and abilities are you ever lived. The question is, are you using your skills, gifts, and abilities for the Lord? Does God have all of you? Does he have every part of you? You can do things that none of us can do. Some of you can do things better than others, right? You, you, have, you, you, have, you have immense, in this room, there is immense ability in this room. And each of you are better at some things than others. The question is, are you using what you have for his glory? You're leaving a mark everywhere you go. Are you using it for his glory? So I, I, I came across this verse uh, in, in 2 Timothy. And, uh, and, and, and there's two words in there in relation to just you being you, me being me. There's two words there that just, if I'm honest, they rock my world, Okay. And, uh, and, and, and Paul, Paul says this, he says, you have seen me, you've seen me, you've heard me, he says to Timothy, teach things to many reliable witnesses, okay? And, and, and he says something pretty amazing here, because if, you're, if we're going to talk about the church, this is discipleship right here. This is discipleship. It's everything that we just saw on the screen, right, in that video. He says in 2 Timothy 2.2, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other, here's the two words, trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. The the two words that, that just rock my world are the two words trustworthy and then the second word people. As I look at those two words, I, I think about my own life. I, I think about my own shortcomings. I think about my own struggles. I think about the things that God saved me from. And, I, and, and, and in my heart of hearts, who I am today on June 30th, 2019, I want to be a trustworthy person. I want God to look at my life and declare me trustworthy, that he can trust me, the word says, with the deep things of God. He can trust me. I don't know about you, but if you look at your life, do you see, you, you, you wake up and you, and you look at yourself in the mirror. Do you see someone? Do you see someone who is trustworthy? You're the only you that's ever been in the history of the world. Can God trust you with your skills, gifts, and abilities to be you? Can he trust you? Boy, that, I don't know about you, but that, that, boy, that makes me think. In fact, if I think about the word trustworthy, I maybe have a resultant question. What is it that makes someone trustworthy? You know, if, if I were to ask you who it is in your life that you trust, you might, you might tell me that, that you, you know, implicitly trust. You might tell me, well, I, I trust my spouse. I trust my, my mom or my dad, my, my, my grandparent. I trust my uncle, my, my, my sister, my brother, my best friend. I, I, I trust them. I trust them. They would never injure me. I know that. 
You know, it, that's, if I were to, maybe you'd name or maybe there's someone that popped into your mind, but, but, but if I were to ask you why you trust them, you might tell me some things like, well, you know, I know that they'd never lie to me. I know that they'll always tell me the truth. Or, or you might tell me something like that, you know, they always listen to me. They always listen to me when I'm struggling. They're always open with me, you might tell me. They don't hide anything from me. It's why I can trust them. Or they would never lie to me. They, they'd never betray me. They're, they're always bringing good into my life. Or you might say, listen, I trust them because they're always willing to help. I trust them because they always believe the best in me. I trust them because they're always there for me. You know what's interesting? The same attributes that we would position on a person of trust in our life are the exact same attributes that we would position toward God. In our trust of God, why do we trust him? We trust him because he would never lie to us. We trust him because, as Romans 8 tells us, he's, he's, he's investing good into our life. We trust him because God, God is constantly bringing good into our life because God would never betray us, because he's always there for us, because he's always willing to help, and because he always wants the best for us. We even sing songs about it, right? I mean, we, we sing songs that say, I know that you are for me. I know that you are for me. I know that you will never betray me in my weakness. It's interesting that the same things we would position on a person of trust in our life are the exact same attributes that we would position toward God. Now, the big question, though, is this is where, boy, the rubber meets the road. This is big. If I'm going to be a trustworthy person as God is concerned, can God look at your life? Can God look at my life and say, Those attributes, I see them in you. Can God say the same things about us that we would say about him? The bigger question for us is, can God trust us? That's a big question. Can God say, I know James would never betray me. I know it. Can God say, I know Sally, Sally's always willing to help me. Can God say, I know Doug, Doug always believes the best in me. I know Jennifer, she always listens to me. I know Paul, Paul would never hide anything from me. I know George, George would never lie to me. I know, I know Sam, Sam will pray without ceasing. I know it. I know Sam would never covet another man's wife. As God looks at your life, can God say the same things about you that you would say about him? As God looks at your life, does he see someone who is dependable, who is trustworthy? I think the people that God uses are the ones that he knows he can count on. I think in the history of the world, the ones that God uses are the ones he knows he can count on. Now you say, well, I've done too much, or I always seem to fall short. Let me me give you some encouragement. God is always looking at the heart. He's always looking at the heart. In fact, of one of the most celebrated men in all of scripture, God consistently said that David was a man after his own heart. And if you read David's story, he didn't get everything right, by the way. Not everything. 
The reality is, it is about our heart and its position to want to please God, to want to have God use us, to want to give him every bit of our skills, gifts, and abilities so that the kingdom of God, so that God's work on this earth can continue on through us. That's the heart position that has to be evident if we're going to be trustworthy. So you say, well, what is it that makes somebody trustworthy then? That's the real question. Right? I want to be trustworthy. I want, I want to leave a mark. What do I have to do to be a position or to be in a position where God can trust me? I think scripturally there are four ways, and I'm going to give them to you over the next hour and a half. Okay? Um, I, I, I think there are four ways. Okay? Just real quick. And the first is if we're going to be trustworthy, I think, I think first off, we've got to understand that we have a responsibility to tell the truth tell the truth. To speak the truth in love, but to tell the truth. To speak the truth even when it hurts, but to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Just last evening, I had a phone conversation that I got off of uh, with just counseling someone, and uh, it, it, it so left me in a, uh, in a position of, uh, of feeling like I need to, I need to teach my 16-year-old something. And so he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't a part of that phone conversation. But as I finished that conversation a few minutes later, I I walked into the kitchen where my son was. And I said, I want to tell you something right now. I said, you always should tell the truth, Christian. You should just tell the truth. Even if you've made a mistake, you should just own it and say, I want to do better next time. You should just tell the truth. It'll take you a lot further in life if you're not duplicitous and if you'll own your mistakes and say, I'm going to learn from them. A lot further, a lot further. Tell the truth. I think uh, if, I'm, if I'm going to position my life as a trustworthy person, Proverbs 28, there isn't a better passage on being trustworthy than Proverbs 28. I just would encourage you to read it in your own time this week. But let me, let me, let me give you what Proverbs 28 says. It says, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. Even if they don't tell you, they appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. Paul said it in Colossians this way, if I'm going to tell the truth. He said, don't, don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old nature and all its wicked deeds. He says, instead, put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and to become like him in truth. Huh. We are to be faithful and honest in all things. All things. I... Um, I had a marriage counseling session. Uh, I'll, I'll illustrate this in, in two brief illustrations. Had a marriage counseling session in which uh, a girl in our church had a mother that, uh, that had lived a duplicitous life that no one knew. She, she had, uh, had struggled with depression. She, she had erratic behavior, anger swings and moods, and no one in her family, they'd lived with this for 25 years. And no one could understand why mom was so different over 25 years. How she never seemed to have any peace and never seemed to be happy. And in a, in a moment of counseling with, uh, with the mother, in, in just a moment of counseling, she, and, and we prayed for God's wisdom. And in that moment, God, would you, would you just shine your light on what needs to happen in this moment today? And in a moment there, the Lord very clearly said to me, 
that she had had an affair. And I asked her, that's a tough limb to walk, walk out on when she'd been married to her husband for 30 plus years. And I looked at her, daughter here, mother here, and I said, do you need to tell the truth about something? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, I cannot get away from the fact that I believe you've been unfaithful to your husband. And I said, I've been praying for this moment. And immediately she started to cry. And she said, I have right there in the office. She said, for 25 years, I have hid it from everyone. 25 years. Huh. I, I, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, if, if we try to be other than we are not, we will not have peace in our lives. And the only way we have peace is when we let the light of Christ illuminate, illuminate our lives in relation to his truth, his truth. I'll illustrate it another way. Premarital counseling. Hmm. Sweet girl in our church, loved her, loved her. She was awesome. She was from an immense faithful pedigree of just historically faithful Christians, right? She was awesome. Her dad was maybe one of my best friends in the church. There was was no negatives with him. He was just awesome. He's the kind of guy, pastor, you'd want 500 of in your church, right? She's she's, uh, dating this guy. We'll call him Ben. She's dating this guy. And uh, they come in for four sessions of premarital counseling. They, they want me to do their service. I'm excited. I hardly know Ben, but I know her and her family. This is going to be a great day. They walk in, sit down, and after about 15 minutes of conversation, I realized I didn't like Ben at all, like none. I realized, I, I, I realized in about 15 minutes of conversation that, that Ben was, I, I'm just going to call it, Ben was a toad. He was not a good guy. Uh, ben, ben was in the National Guard. Um, I, I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, okay? So I was in during the first Gulf War. I've made 18 leaps out of an airplane successfully. You know how I know they've been successful? I'm telling you about them. And, uh, and so, so, so I, I thought, well, there'll be a connection there because we were both in the Army, right? And, uh, and there wasn't. We, uh, we, we go through three of those sessions, and I am struggling with whether or not I need to perform this marriage because she's this sweet Christian girl and Ben is not a good guy. We get to the fourth session. The way that I ran my premarital counseling was the last session was all about what it meant to be a man of God and and, and to be the leader in your home as God ordained, right? And and to set by leader, meaning spiritual leader in your home. And so at at that point, I... uh, I start talking about Ben and, and how he's going to live his life. And this is what I get from Ben. You ready? Uh-huh. Yeah. Ben, ben are you hearing me? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And finally, finally, my 82nd Airborne had just had enough. And I looked at Ben and I said, Ben, I want you to put your phone down right now. And he, uh-huh. And I said, no, no, no. I'm telling you right now, put it down. And he put it down and looked at me. I said, I want you to look me eyeball to eyeball right now. I said, Ben, I've struggled with whether or not I should even perform this marriage, okay? I said, the the, the struggle for me is you don't care at all about the things of God. And this is a picture of Christ and the church together. And I am struggling with whether or not I should even do this marriage. 
and perform this ceremony. And I'm not sure I'm going to have to pray. And I want you both to get out of my office. You want to know what makes that worse? Thursday night is when that counseling session was. The rehearsal was the next day. And so they left. She said in tears, this stalwart family in our church, she said, what am I supposed to do? I said, I don't know, but you're going to have to leave. I said, I've got to get my own mind right. So they left. I, uh, I prayed that evening and uh, felt like the Lord wanted me to, uh, to perform the service. Okay, I'd been struggling. I really finally prayed through on it. I called him the next morning. I said, service is on. I'll be there. And uh, I said, if you still want me to do the service. And she said, please. And so I showed up. I pulled into Deer Creek State Park uh, outside Mount Sterling, Ohio. I pull into Deer Creek State Park, into the lodge, which is where their service was going to be. There, uh, there is Ben's mother standing outside of Deer Creek in the fall, waiting for me to pull up. I get out of my car and I think, man, this is going to be fun. I start walking towards the building. She comes running out to me. She says, Pastor Wendell. She said, I'm so glad you're here. And I thought, oh, I'm sure. She said, I want you to know something. She said, thank you. Thank you for speaking truth into Ben's life. I said, what? She said, yes. She said, do you know that we're, she said, do you know I'm divorced? I said, I do. She said, do you know that there's never been a strong, godly male influence in Ben's life his whole life? Did you know, Wendell, that he needed to hear what you had to say to him? She said, it's eaten him alive all night long. He didn't sleep. He's been so worried about his own life. She said, he's going to apologize to you when you walk through the doors. I thought, wow. So I walked in and Ben said, he came up to me. He said, you're absolutely right, 100%. He said, uh, he said I needed to hear the truth. This is what he said. I needed to hear the truth that you spoke into my life. Thank you. He said, would you forgive me? I said, I will. It was a great day, right? Do you know, two weeks later, I'm in church. They weren't gonna go to our church. They lived away. And two weeks later, I'm in church. And, and my phone, I get a text message. And guess who it was from? From Ben. And guess what the text message said? He said, Pastor Wendell, today, we went to church. And today, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And he said this. He said, it never would have happened in my life had you not spoken truth to me. Whoo. He said, I'm going to be baptized in the whole nine, right? Isn't that great? Now, 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 you know what was so great about that? You know what was so great about that? Oh, oh. Is that his life, his family's life, everything was changed because under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I felt like I needed to speak some truth into this young man's life. Now, if you've been waiting for a message that, that gives you the latitude to go tell someone off, this is not that message, okay? Like, I know some of you, like, right now, you're like, oh, I've been waiting. You, you already, you already, probably while I was saying that, you've already texted somebody, we got to have a talk, right? Just back off that, back off that, okay? But here's the reality. Here's the reality. The world is filled with lies, and the one thing a believer ought to possess is truth because you have it living inside of you. Amen?
Speak the truth in love. There are people in your life that need you to tell them the truth. Don't give them lip service. Tell them what they need to hear. Yeah, I could personalize that even further, but I won't. So next though, if we're gonna be a person that, um, I talked so long, boy, my goodness, my computer gave up on me. All right, the next one is, is have faith. Have faith. If you're gonna be trustworthy, tell the truth second, have faith, okay? Have faith. Possess faith in your life. What does that mean for us? Well, Hebrews 11 says faith is the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we can't see, right? Um, Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Let me just, let me just illustrate this for, for you for just a second. Hebrews eleven six has a great, in my opinion, it's, the, it's, it's a great faith principle. And it says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you're gonna live in faith, don't evaluate your decisions based on a profit and loss statement. Don't evaluate your decisions on a pro versus con column. If you're gonna live and walk in faith as a trustworthy follower of Jesus Christ, uh, make every decision based on one fact alone. Which, Which way leads you to more faith? That's the right decision. If faith is the thing that pleases him, which decision can you not pull off on your own accord? Which decision do you have to have some help from the Lord on? The faith principle, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's the right decision. Follow the Lord in faith, okay? Make decisions in your life that lead to faith. Only you can evaluate in your life whether every day you're living by faith. Only you can evaluate that. I know in my own life, even in this role as district superintendent, I know in my own life, It is very easy to get into routine, very easy. And every day, ask God to stretch you. Ask God to use you. Every day, ask God to change your thinking and to let you live that day in faith. I promise it'll change your life. So what is it that makes a person trustworthy? Tell the truth. Second, have faith. Third, live honorably. Live honorably. If there's anything we need in the world today more, it's people Men and women of God that will live with honor. Live with honor. You know, um, I, uh, <laughs> we, our, our kids, we've, we've kind of set an expectation for them through the years. I don't know. Mine are young enough. They're not, you know, 23 and 21 and 20. I hope, I hope it works in the long term. We'll see when they're 40, right? Um, but the reality is we, we've, you know, tried to instill in them you're, you're, you're a brown, and there's a particular way to live if you're a brown. You may say, well, that's old-fashioned, that's, that's old-time values. I would say it's no different than, than when I say I'm following Jesus Christ. I am a Christian by name, and there's a certain way I'm supposed to live as a part of the family of God. Is that, is that fair? And, and, and so to put some expectation even in our own lives that we should live with honor, live with honor. I like, the way, um, I like the way Romans 12 says it. It says, never pay back evil with more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. That's Romans 12, Romans 12, 17. I like Proverbs 28, 9. Again, there's Proverbs 28. God det- detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Live with honor. So what does it mean to live with honor in your life? It means do the right thing. Do the right thing. 
I, oh, don't, don't, don't try to account for it. Don't try to say, well, no one will find out. Don't, don't, don't say, well, it's not that big of a deal. If you're having those conversations with your own self, you're already in a world of hurt. Just do the right thing. That means don't even take a paper clip from work if it's not yours. Return it. If you find yourself, not even a pen, don't, don't, don't clock in just a, a hair early or, or, or late because they don't pay me enough anyways. Don't cheat on your time card. Live with honor in your life. When you're at the grocery store, Christians, return the cart to the right spot. Christians, don't, don't just take something off the shelf and go, well, it'll be okay. They pay people to put this meat back. Don't do that. Go put it back yourself. Live with honor. I'm, I promise you, there are eyes that are on you. There are. And if you've called on the name of Jesus and others know that you're a Christian, they're watching what you do. Don't do it because, don't do it because you, you want them to get the right impression. Do it because you want to do the right thing. Do it because you want to do the right thing. Two quick things. First, honor. Ugh, honor. Um, do you know that, uh, do you know that uh, in the Brown household, there is a, uh, oh, we have a beautiful bed that, that my wife has displayed wonderfully. And uh, do you know that uh, bedspread, do you know, do you know that there are 14 pillows on the Brown bed? Did you know that? 14 pillows, decorative, beautiful. Do you know that, that Wendell doesn't care at all about pillows? Did you know that, right? Did you, I, and I'm, some of you men are like, I, I get this, right? Do you know that, uh, do you know that for, for a while, do you know that it was fun for me just to arrange the pillows all sorts of funny ways because there's a particular way those pillows are supposed to be displayed, Okay. I, I hear it, I hear it. I'm, see, I'm preaching the right message here, right? There's a particular way those pillows are supposed to be displayed. And do you know that it's not every day that Wendell makes the bed? Let's go on record there. But when Wendell does, do you know, or had, do you know it was kind of fun for me to arrange those pillows in, in, in all sorts of ornery ways just because I know it wasn't right? Do you know that one day I'm arranging pillows? I'd prayed that day, God, make me a blessing. <laughs> and do you know that God, as I'm putting the pillows on the bed, God said, why can't you? I'm not, I am not making this up for a sermon point. You could as a pastor, but I'm not. God said, why can't you honor your spouse and just honor her with this? And you know what I said? Because I don't want to. <laughs> just kidding. I, I said, you know what? I can, and I have. And from that point on, I've tried every day to make that exactly what Tammy loves. No, there's no knock. I'm glad she loves it. And, and, and the reality is, it, I should want to honor her that way. Now, now it's, you say, well, that's silly. I mean, it was just a, a fun thing, but it really wasn't. It really wasn't. It's something she loves. I can do the right thing by her by honoring what she wishes in our home. It didn't cost me or hurt me in any way right? Live with honor in your life. I'll give you one more. We're, uh, we're, uh, Tammy and I are, are lake people. So when I die, you can just push me into the lake and I'll be very happy, all right? Um, we love freshwater lakes, love them, okay? 
Um, I don't know about Lake Erie. I don't know. I'm an Alabama guy. That may be a little too much for me, but, uh, but I love freshwater lakes, okay? We're coming off the lake uh, off of, uh, on a Labor Day when we lived in Tennessee. We're at Kroger. Tammy and Emma go inside, our oldest. They go inside. At that point, our kids are, I don't know, third grade, something like that, and then younger. And, uh, and uh, we've got maybe a little two-year-old son with us or whatever else. And I've got, so I've got three kids, two girls and my son with us. And uh, I watch this lady come out of Kroger. I watch her go back in. I watch her come out, go back in. There's two doors in, in Kroger. She comes out again. All of a sudden, this, this guy comes out. They're screaming and yelling at each other right in front of me while they're getting lunch supplies inside of Kroger for the next school week or whatever. And, uh, and I'm in my mind, you need to just know what went through my mind. We've got a lover's quarrel, and I'm going to get to watch it. I'll have some entertainment for the next uh, few minutes, okay? In the middle of that, in the middle of that, there's a lady right in front of me. She's putting her, her groceries in her trunk. Her purse is seated on her cart. They get in their beat-up Cavalier. They, they pull behind her. She jumps out of the Cavalier, grabs this elderly woman's purse, throws it in their car. She dives through the window and off they go and they leave. Now I watch this. It's, I don't know, nine o'clock at night or whatever it was. I watched this and immediately said to my kids, put your seatbelts on, we're gone. And I threw my expedition in drive and I went after the purse snatchers. Okay. There was a point when we were like this, right? I mean, right next to each other. And uh, my, my, my second oldest daughter just screams out, we're going to die. And I said, you're not going to die, Abby. It'll be okay. So I, I, I pick up, we only had one cell phone back then. I pick up the phone. I'm, I'm, I'm calling 911. I get a Dixon County dispatcher, Dixon County, Tennessee on the line. And uh, he says, well, you know, what, what's your emergency? I said, I'm chasing a purse snatcher from Kroger and uh, off of Route 60. And, and uh, I, I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, don't lose them. <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm on the phone with him. There's a red light. He says, and, and I say to him, hey, there's a red light here. What do you want me to do? Run it. And so I stay on him. I'm giving him the license plate number. I kid you not, I followed them for 20 minutes before the police came and relieved me on the chase. Just saying. Starsky and Hutch, I was not, but man, was it fun, Right? And, uh, and so, so, so Tammy comes out with groceries, no cell phone, I'm gone, right? I mean, it was a fun night, right? And, uh, and so, so anyways, I, I come back and, and uh, I learned later they called off the chase because it was, they were driving too erratically and so they called it off. I'm just saying Wendell didn't lose them. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I was with them. That's all I'm saying, all right? So, uh, so. So a little bit later, uh, they, uh, they end up tracking them down and uh, we, we end up, I, I had to go in for a, a lineup to identify them, okay? And so I'm, I'm there, I walk into this uh, office, uh, it's the detective and, uh, and her husband, who was a, a deputy, was there as well. He was there on his lunch break, his wife was the detective and uh, they're explaining how all of this is gonna go. I was the only one who saw him. And so uh, she, she just stops for just a second. And she said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes. She said, uh, why would you do that? Why would you chase him? I said, because it was the right thing to do. She said, nobody does that anymore. Nobody. 
She said, what do you do for a living? And I thought, oh, I didn't want to tell her. I really didn't want to tell her I was a minister because I didn't want her to think, well, have some sort of stigmatism there, right? And I said, well, I said, I'm a minister. She looked at her husband and immediately said, um, well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, we need to go to his church. She said, any man that would do this is a man I'd like to go to church, to his church. Do you know they came to church? Do you know they accepted Jesus Christ, those two? Do you know that the lady, the lady whose purse was stolen was an atheist? I learned later. Do you know that we had an upward soccer program? Do you know I'm coming off the soccer field one day after practice and I see this grandmother and I see her little granddaughter that was there playing in our soccer league? And she, she, she says to her granddaughter, she says, this is the guy, I want you to meet him. And do you know, knowing she's an atheist, do you know what she said? You know what she said to me? She said, I have driven 45 minutes to get here. I live 45 minutes away. But I told my daughter that if, she, if, her, if, her, that if my granddaughter was going to play in any sports league, it needed to be in yours because you are an individual that I think I can trust. Now, now, I want you to know something. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that, and I hope I never let her down. I'm, I'm, just hear me. But, but when you choose to live with honor, there is no end to how the Lord can use your obedience and how lives can be changed by simple things that you do because it's the right thing to do. Live with honor. Well, you got to tell the truth. You got to have faith, and I'm, I'm almost done. You got to live with honor. At last, you got to care for others. You got to care about others. Care for people. In the end, it's, it's important. Let me just read this to you, and then I'll, I'll finish Here's here's what uh, Philippians 2 says, verse 4. Don't look out to your own interests, but take an interest in others. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever gives to those in need will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to needs will be cursed. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. Um, There's there's a vacuum that exists today a little bit in the church, and I don't think it's it's you. So, So hear me. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not at all saying it's Medina Church of the Nazarene. I'm not at all saying it's any church on North Central Ohio because we're a great group, right? Um, I, I, but I do think it's important for us to not, th- this is the vacuum. We say we care, but maybe our actions don't fully follow through with the level of love we profess sometimes in church. And it's easy. It's easy to say, well, our church is here. Why don't people come? And, and to make that our version of caring, when, when right across our street is a neighbor who doesn't know Christ, and all we do is wave if we do that, or someone at work that we don't share, here's the, here's the reality. If you know the truth and the truth sets you free, we got to love people enough to tell them the truth and tell them that God is love and sacrifice. In fact, the word says that the church is the only example of the reconciliation of God to the world. In fact, the ministry of reconciliation God gave to the church, he gave to us. And so if this world is gonna be, if it's gonna be right, if it's gonna find truth, if it's gonna understand what love truly is, it's, it's, it's gonna look to us. We're the example because his love lives in us. If I could give you any encouragement, it would be that there's somebody in your life who doesn't know Christ And you maybe have had moments where you've struggled with whether you should talk to them or not. You've struggled with how do I show them? Let me give you some encouragement. 
care for them and love them. No war was ever started by being nice. None. And the nicest thing you can ever do is tell them that God loves them and that God has so changed your life. Here's the deal. I, I was a drug addict that God has changed and I'm so grateful for. And the reality is I don't want anybody to struggle with what I struggled with. He set me free from that. And he could set others free too, I know. Amen? Somebody in your life that needs you to love them deeply, to sacrifice for them. I, I, I know it's tedious. I know it's a struggle. I know, I know you want to throw up your hands and throw in the towel, but don't do it. Care for them. They need you to show them this love of God that never quit on you won't quit on them because he's living in you. Okay? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we've had just the privilege of being in your presence today. Jesus, my deep confession is that I want to be trustworthy. I know that's the heart and the sentiment of every person in this room, that we would just be seen through your eyes as people you can trust. Help us, help us deeply to reflect you in everything that we do and make us, enable us to make these moments count, I pray in Christ's name, amen.